Hello. Welcome to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Join us each week as we hear from God's Word, as we seek to prayerfully proclaim the crucified Christ as Lord of all. Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodiah and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, Whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the, Lord, and the God of peace will be with you. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learnt the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, Philippians, yourselves, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in, in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Hi, my name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors with Campus Bible Study. Thanks for joining us again for the Bible Talks as we come to the last in our series in Philippians. Please join with me as we pray and ask God to help us understand His Word and respond with obedience and faith. Let's pray. Almighty Lord, we thank you for your goodness, giving us your word so clear and so freely accessible. Father, as we look at Philippians 4 now, please direct and shape our minds to understand all truth and so to live our lives in obedience to you. May we do this 
that we may live purposeful lives that are pleasing to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever reflected how you fill your mind and what impact this has in your life? I mean, uh, on average, we spend three hours a day on our mobile phones. We spend two hours a day watching TV. And if you have Netflix, you have another two hours a day of screen time added in. Then on top of that, there's this constant soundtrack of the Spotify playlist that goes along with our life. We're constantly bombarded with images, advertising, luring, promoting different things and different products. And then there's the words that we read in the newspaper, if you still read that, the magazines, the books, if you still read those too. And then every week or two, we kind of try and fill our minds with all the content we need for the upcoming test or essay that we're writing. We fill our minds with so much stuff. We're in this kind of age of the overflow, the flood of information. And what do we do with it all? Well, when we fill our minds with these things, is it any wonder when we find ourselves driven by the currents, the anxieties, the pressures of society and the world around us? What do you fill your mind with? What is the importance of the mind and how do we rightly live in this world? You see, knowing the importance and the power of the mind, as Paul concludes his letter to the Philippians, he addresses their thoughts. We've seen that he's been writing for their progress and joy in their faith. And a mind rightly harnessed to its creator is the engine room of the Christian life. It's a fountain of peace and joy in life. And aren't those things, peace and joy, what we all long for and desire in life? So where does it start? Have a look at chapter 4 and verse 8 with me. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now, while this list is by no means exhaustive or complete, the picture is pretty clear, isn't it? Fill your minds with things that are morally upright, that are good, that are pleasing, that are profitable, that are are worth living in. This is what God's people ought to fill our minds with. To dwell on them, to think deeply about them. As you reflect on all that media that you consume daily, how much of it fits this description? At best, you might try and persuade yourself that some of it is morally neutral, but not much of it is going to encourage you, if any, to actually walk a life that is pleasing to God. And in fact, if we're honest, a whole lot of us is actually pulling us to live a life apart from God, as if He isn't even there. Now, this doesn't actually make it all sinful, though some of it probably is, but it should give us pause. How should we fill our minds with things that are good and true and just and pure and pleasing and profitable and honorable, things that should direct and shape our lives to be moral and pleasing to God? Well, the obvious place to start is with God's Word, the Scriptures. He defines, after all, what is good and pleasing. He is pure and just in every way. And so it's our immense privilege that we have such great access to the Bible. It should be our daily delight and devotion to read, to memorize, to study on our own and with others, to be taught faithfully and to live it out day by day. 
Isn't it a shame how we drench ourselves so fully, like with the fire hose of social media? But we struggle to even to sip daily, to drink from the delights of God's Word. It's hardly a right balance for those who are supposed to be filling our minds with the things of God. Now, brothers, I know many of you and our dear sisters too, we desire, we labor in this, we struggle in this. So let us keep growing as a community who daily delights in God's Word, who seeks to fill our minds with the things of God, with what is right and with what is pleasing and with what is excellent. And as our minds are filled with this knowledge, it's not just to know what is right, it's actually to focus our mind on doing what is right, to living it out. We dwell on the truth in order to do the truth and do what is pleasing to God. And verse 9 says that our Christian leaders are actually integral to this whole process. And not only do they teach us this knowledge, but they model it, they live it out amongst us. Now, isn't that a great reminder that ministry is best done in person, face to face, life on life, seeing one another and being in person together. Now, we're really thankful for this medium that allows us to keep on sitting under God's word together, being taught and trained and equipped to live for him. But well, we know it's just a, a temporary measure, don't we? Uh, we long for, hopefully, term three, uh, if not before, and we can actually meet in person to continue to observe one another's lives. That's really significant. Uh, to see how we daily live what is pleasing and profitable, uh, to put these truths into practice. Which is also why that ministry of your local pastor is so significant. As you see his life and his family and how he interacts, even if you find that American great preacher so captivating and compelling, there's no replacement for actually sharing life with the one who teaches and models God's word for you. But for many of us, we're all too aware that this goes two ways. Not only do we see the example of those who teach us and lead us, but as we lead growth groups or youth group or Bible study or even Sunday school, we are teaching God's Word and we're providing a model and an example to those that we lead. Brothers and sisters, we must never take this responsibility lightly to teach and to model God's Word. So as we fill our minds with these things and we focus on doing these things, verse 9 says, And the God of peace will be with you. Isn't that a great assurance? But how is that related to dwelling and doing? Is this peace of God a reward? Do this and God's peace will be with you. Or is it the motivation to do it? Because the God of peace is with you. Or is it the assurance if you do this, the God of peace will be with you. Or I mean, as you do it, the God of peace will be with you. Or is it something completely different? Well, here's the question on the screen. And why don't you take a moment to chat with those around you to think about how does and the God of peace will be with you? How does it function? How does it relate to dwelling on and doing these great things? We'll see you in three minutes. And you go. I think it's a bit like saying, work out at the gym and you will be stronger. Or even hop in my car and I will be with you. Rather than some kind of a reward or promise, it's the reality as we commit ourselves to thinking and doing these things, God's assurance, God's commitment to us is that He will be with us. His peace will be with us. 
Uh, practice these things and you'll experience God because this is living how God's people were meant to live. And it's a truly glorious way to live. But why is God described as a God of peace? Why not just God? We're going to have to keep reading through the passage to see if we can answer this question as we go along. So we're at point three, good fruit and a mind full of good. When we fill our minds and we focus our minds on the things of God, countless good fruit flow out in the lives of God's people. I mean, from verse 1, with great affection, Paul calls the Philippians to stand firm thus in the Lord. It's the conclusion of what he said in chapter 3, as we looked at last week, the call to keep striving forward in dependence on God. And again, if you have a look at chapter 3 and verses 15 and 17, again, it's about the, what we set our minds on, the knowledge, as well as the example that we follow, Paul and his co-workers. Because that's how God's people remain steadfast in the truth. That's hardly rocket science, is it? If we fill our minds with the things of the world and we stop listening to God, then we walk away from God and after the things of this world. Chapter 3 and verse 19 was that sobering reminder. Our minds become set on earthly things, not the, the things of God. And for those who do that, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame. Brothers and sisters, do not be those people. My joy and our joy will be to see one another exalted in the Lord on that last day when he returns. Stand firm in the Lord. Secondly, being devoted to what is true brings unity. It brings us together. Paul's warm exhortation to his co-workers is to agree in the Lord. Having seen these two women labor side by side, he knows their salvation. He's seen their trust in God worked out. Their names are written in God's book of life. Their great record of those who will be raised and live forever with him. Those God has chosen and holds on to. But even those holy women were struggling to be united. Sadly, disagreements between Christian brothers and sisters are a reality. It's not a point of division. It's not just their problem over there. Uh, Paul doesn't rebuke them or say one of them, pull your head in and disagree with the other one. No, they are to strive together and to be united with one mind in the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the desire, not just of those two women, but of Paul and his co-worker in Philippi, and to some extent, the whole Christian community who's reading this letter. Together, we're to be committed to the unity in the truth. Dwelling on the truth unites God's people in the Lord to stand firm in the Lord and also rejoice in the Lord. Do you see how everything's in the Lord? It's this constant refrain. As we saw last week back in chapter 3 and verses 8 to 11 about rejoicing in the Lord, there's nothing more valuable or necessary in all the world or all history than being found in Jesus Christ. And that's because we all deserve God's wrath and judgment for ignoring him, not treating him as Lord in our lives. But God's great promise is that all who say sorry who apologize for rejecting God and turn back and trust Jesus as their Lord and commit themselves to living for him. God promises forgiveness, a reconciliation, adoption into his eternal family. He promises to love them because Jesus died in their place to take their punishment. 
And so if you've received Jesus as your Lord, we are filled with all joy as God has poured out. He's clothed us in every spiritual blessing. We're one of his and he will hold on to us forever. And so we rejoice. We rejoice in the Lord because he has given us all things in the Lord. Now, we tend to think of joy as being tied to certain times and events. Uh, back at uni, I rejoiced as I read the Bible with a friend and he put his trust in Jesus. Uh, or a few years ago, when we first found out we were pregnant, we rejoiced. My wife and I rejoiced to actually bring new life into the world. But verse 4 is a command to rejoice. Not just when you feel it, but to rejoice always, now and forevermore. And it's even repeated to make sure that we don't miss the command. But why must Christians rejoice? Why do many Christians struggle to do this always? Well, Christians must rejoice primarily because God deserves it. We can think that joy is an internal feeling. It's a personal feeling. But in the Bible, rejoicing is generally expressed. It comes out in words of praise, sharing the great things that God has done for us. And frankly, when we really feel joy, we want to tell someone about it, don't we? Rejoicing is best done together. It's a communal activity. Friends, if you don't know this joy for yourselves, say sorry to God and turn back and receive his forgiveness and start living with Jesus as the Lord of your life. You will never find a greater joy than knowing the God who loves you unconditionally, who's adopted you into his family eternally. Don't fight God, but actually receive God and you will find peace and joy. When our minds are filled with the things of God, we rejoice in the Lord. But when our minds are filled with the things of earth, we just rejoice in Instagram snaps of our latest lunch. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice together because our God is worthy of all rejoicing. And because these wonderful realities never change, we can rejoice always. Yesterday, today and forever, that joy doesn't change. Even as we have read about the Philippians in the end of chapter 1, even through suffering, Christians can be filled with great joy. Which leads us beautifully into verse 6, arguably the most famous verse in this whole letter. And rightly so. Do not be anxious about anything, Paul writes. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This has rightly been memorized by Christians everywhere as a reminder of God's great comfort to his people through the anxieties and the pressures of life. When you know the God of the universe who's poured his blessings out on you through his son, Jesus Christ, you don't need to be anxious about anything. Instead, we can actually rejoice in everything because God is with us and he's given us everything. Now, rather than being burdened by the weight of anxieties, uh, Christians bring their concerns to their father in heaven. His ear is always attentive to their cries. And we come and bring before him all things, both great and small. And we always come to God with thanksgiving. Did you notice that? 
even in anxiety and distress, our posture is one of thankfulness. We don't stand over God and try and tell him what he needs to do. No, we come before him thankful for all he has done for us. Thankful for his wisdom and his goodness that even if he doesn't do what we ask, he will do what is good and what is glorifying to him. And so regardless, we always approach God with thanksgiving. And as we do, God's great promise is for his peace to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's all about the mind and it's all about Christ Jesus, our Lord. What does it mean to have this peace of God that surpasses understanding? Is it incomprehensible? Or perhaps. But the idea is more about superiority or to rule over. The idea that God's peace trumps all other thoughts. Instead of our thoughts fueling ungodly desires and anxiety, our prayerful dependence on God, well, it feeds our minds, it directs our minds back to Him. And back to rejoicing in him. Does this help us understand this peace of God a little more? We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through his blood shed on the cross. And that gives us a surpassing joy and security and assurance. And as we bring our concerns before God with thanksgiving, he replaces our anxiety with his peace. The peace that knowing he is good and in control of all things. And isn't that what our world needs and longs for? The mind filled with God is a mind full of joy and peace. Now, some of us think this sounds absolutely magic. But others are starting to feel some doubt and some disbelief. Maybe because you or other Christians you know, they really struggle with anxiety. Have they just failed to grasp hold of God's promise here? Well, all manner of different things can cause anxiety in our life. Some are good and normal and others are wrong and unhelpful. Back in chapter 2, Paul described the good anxiety, the anxious concern for the needs of another. It was Timothy's concern. But God invites us to bring our every anxiety to him, no matter what it is. And for many of these anxieties and for many of us, as we bring them before God, as we entrust them to him, We feel, we experience, we know God's peace is with us. And that is a deep and a rich blessing for us. But for some, our anxiety can be fueled or exacerbated by underlying medical factors. It's not a lack of faith. It's the reality of living in a a world marred by sin where our bodies are broken and ailed. In God's grace, medical professionals can really help this kind of anxiety. And they can help us to find the peace that God longs us to have. And so if this is you or your friend, can I encourage you to talk to a trusted Christian friend and see your GP. There are ways that we can help. Because God wants all of his children to know the joy and the peace. But the pains that we experience day by day, they drive us to keep on looking forward to heaven, not to set our hopes on this earth. Now, if you're filled with this peace and joy, filling your mind with the good things of God and focusing your life on living them out with steadfastness, united, rejoicing and prayerful, what more could you want? Well, here's another chance to chat with those around you. Uh, What more could you want when you already have God's peace and joy? Take three minutes and we'll see you.
Okay, let's have a think about it together. We're at point four, the joy of thinking this way. You see, from verse 10, Paul talks about the joy of this Christ-filled mindset. The context revolves around their partnership or working together for the advance, the progress of the gospel. We saw it at the start of the letter. And now as Paul returns this topic, he brings the letter to a close. But did you notice as we read it before, uh, Paul spends almost as much time saying how he didn't need their gift as he does expressing joyful thanks for the gift. Seems a bit strange. But Paul isn't like that spoiled child who is ungrateful for the gift. Instead, he wants us to teach us and the Philippians an important point about contentment and partnership. You see, God's people can be content in any and every situation. As Paul says in verse 11, you see, contentment is not great for commerce. And none of that media we consume is going to encourage contentment. But for those in Christ, Contentment is a rich blessing, something that characterizes the people of God. And it makes sense. If you have Christ, you have everything. And if you can always rejoice in Christ, surely you can also be content in Christ as well. But notice verse 12. Being content and being richly provided in Christ doesn't mean that God's people will be spared from all hardship. Paul was humbled and hungry and in need. But through all of these times, as well as the times of abundance, Paul had everything he needed in Christ. This is how we should also understand verse 19. In response of the Philippians provision for Paul, Paul says, And God will provide, will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. This assurance is definitely true. But it's not a guarantee against never being hungry or in need. But even through these times, in Christ, all our needs are richly supplied. Christ is the key. And so verse 13, it's not this kind of universal promise about Christian triumphalism. Whatever you Christian set your mind to, you'll be able to do it. You'll be able to achieve it through Jesus' strength in your life. No, it's a particular promise about the confidence of verse 19. That God gives us the, well, in Christ, the strength to persevere through thick and thin, content, joyful, finding all our needs fulfilled in Jesus. And he gives us all that we have, all that we need to serve him, to live for him, and to live a life that is pleasing to him. And just as Paul said back in chapter one, to live is Christ. As long as Christ gives you life and breath, he provides all you need to live for him. But at some point, our time will be up. He'll call us home. He'll raise us up to be with him. And then to die is gain. But all of our needs are still fully met in Jesus Christ. That's the great Christian assurance and confidence. And so partnership is not about needs primarily, because all of our needs are met in Christ. But it's also not about needs because if it is, then our partnership can just seem one way about the provision of needs. But in verse 15, Paul clearly describes partnership as two-way, about giving and receiving. Which means that the needs of a gospel worker are only part of the picture. So if partnership isn't about needs, what is it about? Well, it's about progress and joy. 
right from when they first received Jesus as their Lord, the Philippians have partnered with Paul. And they've been regularly providing for his needs, verse 16. And not just because he needed it, but for the progress of the gospel, that great news that Jesus is the saviour of the world. You see, when you know God's joy and peace for yourself, you long for God to be glorified as the whole world can share that same joy and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And partnership, well, it's that great pleasure of working towards that end. In verse 10, it brings Paul joy. In verse 18, Paul uses his Old Testament sacrificial language to show how partnership is pleasing to God. And it's also, it's good for the Philippians themselves. It's about their own growth in verse 17. Paul doesn't explain exactly how, whether as a growth in their expression of their faith or in the joy of hearing the gospel progress or in their own growth in Christ-likeness or even all of the above. But do you see why the gospel partnership is such a great thing? It's joyful, it's worthwhile, it's pleasing and it's profitable. It's what we can invest our lives in. And so can I encourage you to partner with others for progress and joy. And not just to meet budgets, to advance the gospel, to promote Christ where he isn't known. Now, how wonderful would it be if Christian organizations didn't need to say, we're behind budget, please give to make us get there. But we just freely and joyfully gave and they were exceeding budgets. They could keep on creatively and boldly proclaiming Christ everywhere. Wouldn't that bring us and them great joy? Wouldn't it be great for the kingdom and pleasing to God? That's the joy of partnership, not driven by needs, but by that heart that overflows, longing for God to be glorified, to be pleased and for all people to know God's peace and joy. And so, if you're not sure where to start, can I invite you to partner with Campus Bible Study, that's us if you're not sure, and with the Church Missionary Society. That's the organization that a whole heap of our link missionaries are supported by. If you want to see the gospel keep going out on campus, uh, well, there's a link on the screen now. If you go to CBS Partnership, tinyurl.com slash CBS Partnership, uh, you can sign up to partner with us at Campus Bible Study to see, keep on seeing the gospel go out on campus. Uh, likewise, if you go to CMS, we'd love you to partner with the CMS to keep on seeing the gospel going out around the world. And this shouldn't be a burden or something that you feel kind of compelled or dragged into, but we want you to see the great joy, the great privilege of gospel partnership. It's pleasing to God, it's good for us, it's for the joy of those we partner with and for the growth of the kingdom. Gospel partnership is a pleasure and a privilege for all who are involved in it. As we partner, there is always cause for rejoicing. Did you notice Paul's passing comment in those final greetings? Have a look from verse 21. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Here's Paul sitting in chains in Rome for the defense of the gospel. And he's writing to encourage those dear brothers and sisters in Philippi to keep progressing in their faith with great joy. Together they've got a long and joyful history of partnership. A long to see that gospel keep going out for the glory of God and the salvation of many. And... 
This led has actually been occasioned by their most recent expression of partnership, as Epaphroditus brought the gift and now brings this letter back to the Philippians. And right at the end, there's this encouragement that would have no doubt brought great rejoicing. In spite of their affliction and Paul's, here they have the joy that they have new Christian brothers and sisters in Rome, in Caesar's very household. God's glorious gospel continues to bear fruit to the praise and honor of God. Praise God. Will you join us in praying that God keeps bearing this fruit in our lives and in our ministries and through our partnerships? Let's pray. Almighty Lord, thanks for this wonderful and glorious picture of what it means to be your people, to set our minds on your things and to seek to live focused on pleasing you. Father, we thank you for the joy and the encouragement and the peace that we have through Christ. And we pray that we may see fruit of this in our lives and in the lives of others as we seek to proclaim Christ and partner with those doing it here and all around the world. Father, we do this because you deserve it. We do it because it's pleasing to you. We do it because it's what our world needs more than anything else. Father, may you be glorified as your glorious gospel is proclaimed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on your regular podcasting app. And why don't you check us out at Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at campusbiblestudy.org.